show. This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback, and I encourage you to continue the conversation in your life and with your community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, it's your host, Cameron Esposito. Welcome back to the show. Man, those first episodes of Query rocked my world. I hope that you love them too. Today on the show, a friend of mine who is somebody who's a little bit younger than me that I really look up to. I don't know if you have those people in your life. Madden Lopez is somebody that I met at the barber that I go to. But when I found out what their personal life was like and the work that they do, I was just blown away. So without any further ado, please get to know my friend Madden. I think you're going to love them too. Enjoy the show. Hi guys, so today on the show, I have a really awesome guest, um, somebody that I really look up to. Uh, I know, your face. (laughs) Um, Because of their, I think like vibes, but also just connection to the community. Um, And that is my friend Madden Lopez. Oh, hello. Hey man, how are you doing? Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, So I know you Mm -hmm. because you work at... The salon where I get my haircut. Super queer hair, yeah. Super queer <laughs> hair. Um, that's how we met. But I also have just tangentially been watching the things that you've been doing in our community for the last couple of years. And so I wanted to have you on the show to talk about who the fuck you are. Yeah. And how you figured out how to position yourself as a helper. I think you're kind of a helper. Would I'm you, such a helper. Would you take that mantle on? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so introduce yourself a little bit to our listeners. Um, where are you from? I don't even know this, actually. I don't know where you're from. All these things. I'm Madden Lopez. Mm-hmm. I'm a Los Angeles-based hairstylist, and I also grew up in L.A. You grew up in L.A.? Yeah. Where did you grow up in L.A.? Um, all around. You know, we, we we moved around a lot, and there was a lot of um, home switching. So just L.A. proper, outside of L.A., Pasadena areas, valley yeah. areas, yeah. Have you ever lived anywhere else? No. Mm-mm. And I feel like you're, I think you might be a younger person than I am. I, maybe. It's possible. How old are you? 30. Yeah, I'm 35. Sweet. So, uh, 30, lived here in LA. That actually means that we're kind of a different generation. Yes. Which is interesting, because that five years <laughs> in the LGBT community... It's is a like big a big difference. five years. Yeah. yeah. Like what what was your um kiddom like? I grew up outside of Chicago and in the eighties, like the early eighties, so like queerness was not a part of my life at all. I mm-hmm. feel like maybe S East or maybe West Coast living would like naturally integrate it a little bit more, but that I that's me making a lot of assumptions. Super assumptions. Yeah, no, my dad actually was from uh, Kansas City, Missouri, and mm-hmm. all my family was too, and they moved here. I was the first one born in California, so gay stuff was like 
that was California stuff, and we weren't allowed to do it. <laughs> you know? Do not assimilate. <laughs> like, you don't call soda soda. You call it pop, and you yes. can't be gay. Don't be gay. <laughs> and don't get into sushi and yeah. other stuff that people like in Exactly. California. No exactly. hiking. No hiking. Why did you guys move out here from Kansas City? I don't know why they moved here. I mean, I was I was born here, so they moved. I think my dad wanted to be, you know, a star, just like everybody else. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, he really did. He, like, had um, an album that he made, and he tried acting for a long time. Like, he really wanted to do... And he still does... Like, all of our home videos from when I was growing up were his films that he made. Like, he made films for us. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Yeah. That's wild. (laughs) So, when did you realize queerness was a thing then? If it wasn't something that you were allowed to understand at home, what was your first sort of attachment or exposure RuPaul. Wow. Yeah. I, I saw her in one of the Brady movies. I think it was. Uh, yeah, like... absolutely. <laughs> yes. I'm familiar with the scene. Uh, yes. The guidance counselor. Yes, the guidance counselor. And I see her and my eyes just like, I felt them get huge and I felt my heart start beating. And I, just, I was like, Dad, who's that? And he goes, Ugh, that's a, a man in a dress or whatever. And I was like, she's beautiful. <laughs> she is beautiful. How old do you think you were? Uh, like I that don't was know. in the '90s. I'm gonna just make a vague guess vague on guess. when the Brady Bunch movie came out. Like '97. I'm making a guess. Maybe it was earlier. Maybe that. that was the second. There was two. Yeah, that was, right. that might have been the second one. But either way, I was definitely like around ten. Yes. Nine, ten. Yeah. Yeah. And what did you think when you looked at her? What were you taking in? Like, do you remember what you thought you were taking in? Because yeah. your dad, like correcting you, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. uh, policing you or patrolling you or, like, you know, just giving you a specific avenue to see that person? Do you remember how you saw that person? Well, at this point in time, so many black women were portrayed really negatively in film. It was always angry black so women. amazing that it's so different now. Just, just a few <laughs> years later, we just have so many positive Ooh. black yeah, not portrayals. Really. I'm just <laughs> I mean, I feel like it was even worse then. Like looking mm. when I when I watch things from the yeah, 80s and 90s, you're like, whoa, that's it's major difference. But you know, Rue wasn't angry black woman, and she wasn't you know she was soft spoken, but she had power, and she was in a position of power, and it wasn't something that I'd ever seen before. And you tell me it's a man in a dress, I'm only gonna like her more. Sure, <laughs> sure. I I was first I first found out about RuPaul because my mom had a CD of Elton John duets. And Ruin Elton do a duet of Don't Go Breaking My Heart. Oh, my God. That is actually very good. I believe it. And we used to drive around the minivan, and my mom would put that on, and we would all sing along. It's funny looking back at things like that, because I I didn't grow up in a place where it was okay to be queer either, or whether Mm -hmm. it was at all on the spectrum. And Still, like, the culture was changing in small ways where it would, like, creep in. And so, like, how my mom was fine playing that in the family minivan. Right. I mean, when, like, other things were not fine. Yeah. It wasn't Sissy That Walk, you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, fair enough. But, like, yeah, fair enough. But it's a love. It's a duet between the two of them. It's a duet. It's a love song. I'm going to have to put that on my iTunes. Yeah, you should check it out. Yeah. Okay, so your dad gave you that awareness, you're nine or ten. What is the next 
moment that you can remember about... Well, let me ask you this first. Did you see yourself in that moment? With Ruth? Yes, probably for the first time ever, you know, um, with, you know, kind of Midwestern parents, I should say father, there was just one. There was a lot of Midwestern um, punishment, like, you know, they, they, they love to hit their kids back there. So that's, that's, that's what my home life was like. And I was like, I don't belong here. This is all wrong. And then seeing Rue, it was like, I, I, I knew I'd been waiting for my family. And it was like, I'd seen a family member for the first time, you know, um, very like, it's like a ring of keys moment, right? Of course. And that's exactly what it felt like. Of, oh, okay. That's, that's me. Yeah. yeah. Ring of keys. You're talking about fun home, yeah. which is such an awesome musical and, and graphic novel and graphic novel, yeah. which my first girlfriend gave me and oh. I still have with like the inscription that she wrote. And then <sighs> years later I took uh, Rhea, my wife, who mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. we sat in the front row and had that moment at the show when the the person who was who was playing Allison at the time, Beth, mm -hmm. alone, like walked out and just had short hair, mm -hmm. and we both burst into tears <sighs> just seeing somebody with short hair being on stage, and yeah. we hadn't listened to the album mm -hmm. or anything so like we had no idea <laughs> we had no idea that we were having the experience that they were just about to sing about yes in fact we cried so much that some of the actors from the show afterward we like waited by the stage door and they asked us if we were okay oh <laughs> <laughs> um i know oh. i was i joked earlier and i and i don't mean to joke over something that's so huge when you were talking about seeing specifically black women and having a positive portrayal. Mm -hmm. What like what do you think you, before so before seeing Rue, what would be the things that you would put in the category of like these are the descriptors of the characters that you were seeing on television and film? Like what were black women like to you? Angry a lot of times. I mean, I and I'm thinking specifically if if you've watched Family Ma Family Matters, you know, Steve Urkel, the mom on the show was like my I didn't have a mom growing up so she was who I saw as a black woman and she was always angry she never had a smile on her face she was always complaining and it took me a really long time to realize that those that was a script that was written for her that that's not who she was and that that I didn't have to be that you know yes um, and representation is so important like so ridiculously important that not only it's, it, does it change the way that you the world sees you, but it changes the way that you see yourself. And absolutely, yeah. So having having Rue come along and just be sweet and helpful and loving, I was like, I can be, I get to be that. Like that's okay to be that. Wow, that's amazing. I would also say, you know, in those traditional uh, family sitcoms, the the mom character um, also is in charge of keeping things on track in a way that feels very heavy. Like, that's another thing that I took away from watching characters like that. Mm -hmm. It's like, not only is she mad, but also, like, everybody around her is, like, falling apart. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. everybody's, like, doing a bad job all the time. Mm -hmm. And her job is to, like, right the ship. It's um, to hold up the space. Yeah. And that, you know, you were right, it's heavy. That's a it lot is of so much lifting. Keeping everything together. Yeah, it really is. Um, and I think that's also why, you know, something like having female 
protagonists in comedy mm -hmm. is a huge deal because comedy is generally about the flaws that a person has. Like, like that's what's funny is when we recognize like idiocy or flaws or things like that mm -hmm. um, in each other. And so it's nice when like, like if I get to be an idiot, that's actually <laughs> like a cool privilege for somebody yeah. that has the uh, bod and gender identity that, that I feel like I do. Um, Speaking of which, I, I feel like it's always important to ask just even week by week. So what are your gender pronouns? Yes, I have that in mind to ask. And thank you so much for asking <laughs> me. You know, I I do really go by uh, her and she. I'm totally comfortable with that. And um, my perception of what that means, I think, is like very personal and specific to me. I talk about this with Rhea a lot. Hmm. What do you, What do you go by? I use they and them and their. Yes. Yeah. So I do know that about you only because of seeing cool-ass signs that you put around <laughs> your your workstation. Yeah. Um, when did you start using those pronouns? Um, I started using them around seven or eight years ago. Um, the thing is that I didn't even really start enforcing them until about a year ago. You know, it it felt for a long time like, what did I say? One one of my bosses one time when I was asking for my pronouns to be respected, she said, oh, Madden's making me use these pronouns with them. And I was like, oh, it's all about you. Mm -hmm. you know? And unfortunately, I took that on as it's all about everybody else and what they need and making them comfortable. Helper. Yes. You yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Well, and that's such a big. So what was your first? Do you remember the first moment that you insisted or asked? Not insisted. Asked for somebody to use the pronouns that make you feel more comfortable? Yeah. I mean, I'd ask a lot of straight cis friends. And unfortunately, I had so many at the time that it was like it was like pulling teeth and legs and arms, you know, <laughs> like they were just like, what is this language you're making me speak, you know? Um, and so it probably wasn't until I started at Folklore where it was like, no, what do you want to be called? Not what is OK for you, but like, what do you want to be called? They call it the pronoun palace. They're like, what is what is your need? Because here you will be seen. Yes. And, um, you know, that was what, four years ago or so. And you know, haven't gone back since. Yeah, I mean, folklore is super important. This this is the salon that you work at, mm -hmm. the, the, um, or barbershop. Um, it's a super important place in my life for the same reason, because it really is a place where um, it just feels like everybody's trying very hard to create, like, peace. Mm -hmm. And that is such a rare find. Yeah. Like for anything, like not just for hair, for like any place that people yeah. care about your personal pieces, super rare. Mm -hmm. And so um, big part of my life for that reason. And I loved finding it when we moved here um, because L.A. can be such a place where like the, it's hard. It can be hard to find community spaces here. A lot of people spend a lot of time at home. There's like a vaguely mm -hmm. suburban feel, mm -hmm. <laughs> which I do not actually even mind. I'm shocked yeah. to find out in my 30s. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's amazing and really special when you find a community place in this city specifically. 
So you started asking straight cis friends to use the words that make sense for you. And I guess it's hard for me to, you know what it's hard for me to relate to? And I would be curious about it. It's hard for me to relate to like giving pushback on that. I will say I fall down on the job all the time because like I'm used to using uh, binary pronouns. Mm -hmm. I'm, I've had friends that transitioned or changed their pronouns. There's um, like forgetting to keep up or mm -hmm. making mistakes or like blundering. Mm -hmm. And I think that is totally one thing mm -hmm. that I, as a community um, we should be trying to support each other through. Because it's like we're all actually in flux right now. Yeah. So we're all uh, not perfect mm -hmm. at understanding where each other's coming from. That's why it's important to ask. I'm sure yeah. that's why you care about asking. Yeah. And it changes all the time for people, you know. Yes. It's especially queer people, you know, and I don't ever want to assume that it hasn't changed. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that the pushback from people usually comes from their set idea of who they believe you to be and who they are in reference to that. And which is why I ask all the time, you know, because I, it, it, we have to con continuously show up for each other for whoever we are that day. Um, so if they were yeah. giving you f pushback, if those people were giving you pushback based on like their positioning of themselves, like what do you think this was? I mean, did you ever ask or have a conversation about like, what is this setting off for you that this makes you so uncomfortable? Did you ever get any sort of answers on that? Um, yeah, from the straight ones, uh, usually... I guess they, they didn't have any context for it. And at the, you know, when, when they see, you know, my other friends, my queer friends, they see a lot of um, different genders happening. Um, and they've, you know, had at that time witnessed a lot of people going from she to they to him. And so their mentality is, oh, we're not a girl group anymore. Oh, now we're, you know, so are you going to be a boy next? Are you going to chop off your boobs? I can't tell you how many times I've had that question. And it's like... In those specific words. Too. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. And like literally. Yeah. At, you know, at Christmas dinners, you know, like... Oh, that's chill. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Um, so once again, it goes back to like what their perception is and, and what they've seen happen. And, you know, I've been genderqueer for this long. It doesn't mean that I'm going to go in any direction. It depend, you know, it really depends on how I feel that day. I have binders if I want, if I don't want my boobs, you know, like it's just, it's not, and nor does that ha have anything to do with anybody else. What do you say if you get that question? Is it the answer that you just said there mm -hmm. or do you? Yeah. What does it have to do with you? <laughs> that's that's usually, you know, that's what I feel. Usually I say it a little bit nicer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it is Christmas after all. It is Christmas. And you'd be ruining yeah, it if exactly. you drew a line in the sand to protect yourself. Why would you do that? I don't know why. So rude. <laughs> no. um, yeah, I, I, well, I don't have the same, so I don't we don't present to the world in the same way, you and I. Mm -hmm. um, and so I don't get those questions. Mm. And I think that's interesting, too. Whatever the difference is between how we're perceived and the spectrum that you and I are on. Mm -hmm. I, like, never have gotten that one time in my life. Um, I have had queer people ask me what pronouns I would like to use. But I find that oftentimes people outside the community, like see me more as an ally 
to talk with about the changes in the community as opposed mm. to like somebody who is okay or invested in the changes. Hmm. Like somebody asking me like, so other people are using they. Mm-hmm. Like, what's that about? <laughs> like I'm perceived as being like... Google? Uh, yeah. Well, number one, Google. But also like, I guess... Uh, a viewer of the things that of the changes that are happening and not like a participant mm-hmm. um you know partially i use the word lesbian to describe myself mm-hmm. and i still like that word even though i also use queer and i also use gay i use all of those and i mm-hmm. like all of those and that's not true for everybody mm-hmm. so if you if you already are saying that and then some people like especially in your generation i hear so many fewer people using the words gay and lesbian yeah and so i feel like just using those words i'm already like creating a divide that is just good to talk about why it's there yeah can i ask how do you see yourself when you said that people see you as more of a spectator as opposed to a participant oh i mean i'm talking specifically about like the straight friends I know who wouldn't ask me the questions that you are you're saying you get asked I like see. I would never be asked mm-hmm. like are you going to chop off your boobs I've never been <laughs> asked that question uh but I think that's actually like a mistake of like whatever I am whatever like entry level lesbian <laughs> <laughs> whatever like gateway lesbian yeah I am to like this kind of like queer uh like nebulousness that mm-hmm. now exists, um, I think I can still be perceived as outside of that, which is interesting. Yeah, because I don't. I think it's because I have one long side. <laughs> <laughs> that one long. That side. one long side. Yo, look, it changes. It changes the way people see you. It does. It's true. It's you fully know? true. I am. I need to. I need to like figure out if uh, I always want to have this long side because I feel like it does really affect how people see me. And I have liked it for a very long time. But I think what I'm talking about is like as the community is changing, Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to say that I'm on my way out the door. And I feel like some straight people can see that (laughs) as being what this indicates. Oh, goodness. I don't know, right? Yeah, well, I mean... Aren't things complicated? They are. And it's it's also... Like what the, what you're talking about is such a very specific thing. I mean, it's literally what I base my life on, is this this ability to have a conversation with the world without saying a word, you know. And it really does come down to the way that you present yourself. You know, it may be that I get asked that question more because my head's shaved. It might be. Yeah, I mean, I have one long side too. No, it's you just... do have one long side. It's just like your long side <laughs> is very short. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, Actually, I would love to segue into talking about your job because I think your job is uh, so important and interesting. And I also feel like people that don't fall – well, let's talk about your job. Okay. Let's talk about your job. Uh, (laughs) What do you do for a living? What do you say you do for a living? Um, I'm a philanthropist and I do hair in the the daytime. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) What's the philanthropy side? So I cut hair for the homeless youth at the LGBT Center. Um, we're actually on tour right now. We leave tomorrow for San Diego for Trans Pride there at their youth uh, their youth center. And, yeah, it goes back to what we were talking about, about, like, being able to give identity to people that don't have it or have been shut down for it. And so these are shelters where, you know, they've 
probably grown up in homes very similar to ours that were just like queer, no, and unfortunately they don't, they didn't have a place to live any longer after that. Um, and so there are different programs in place that help them get education, get housing, get jobs, get identification, you know, and I just help them get a cute haircut. But what I'm really helping is helping them look in the mirror and know that they're worthy of getting the next thing that's important for them to get. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would also say, um, like, let's just talk about violence reduction. Hmm. Um Especially in the – so especially for trans people of color. Yeah. Especially trans women of color. Yeah. Having a disconnect between your external presentation and what you feel that you are. You know, mm -hmm. having hair that you cannot care for in the way that society demands because you live on the street. Mm -hmm. You are a target for violence. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it really is. I mean, I, I see. Like even just the the moment that I heard about your project and what you were doing, which is called your your um, organization is called Project Q. Yes. And the moment I heard you, what you were doing, I immediately you know thought of that. I immediately mm -hmm. thought of like the actual lives that you'll save. I've seen it happen and it's it's pretty intense. It is. Um I've literally seen people go from doing survival work to you know getting their GED and you know it's it's just it's really empowering. And the fact that I get to like, you know, give you bangs and do your hair for your graduation, like it's 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 a really beautiful moment. Um and the Violence against black trans people has risen so much. Um, and it really, a lot of it does come down to them being so susceptible and being on the streets. And a lot of it does come down to survival work. And, you know, they just, they get in the car and they never get out. And it's it's terrifying. It's terrifying to see it happen over and over again. I saw the death and life of um, Marsha P. Johnson yesterday and... <laughs> She died in 1992, like, and nothing's changed. Like, nothing has changed. And, you know, a lot of people applauded after, and a lot of people were like, you know, oh, I was so touched. And I just, I, I just felt so disgusted. Like, I felt so upset, and I couldn't access it. You know, and I, I don't know. I don't know if I've still been able to. Like, I feel like I need to go and hang out with my kids to be able to, like, see that they're safe. Because there's no difference between Marsha P. and my kids. There's no difference. They, they, the only difference will be that they will love themselves enough to know that they deserve better. That's it. So when you heard people applauding, were you, were you feeling like it was sort of a, like, they were applauding for that being a moment in time that's in the past? Like, was that a feeling that you were having? Or did, or did it feel like other people in the room with you felt that as being a present um, I think that there were a lot of different feelings happening. You know, um, a couple of the people of color spoke up since there were, you know, straight cis men on 
that were not black um, that had created the film and that were on the panel speaking about wow, it. Wow, I don't I don't actually know too much. I, I just know that it I just know that it played at Outfest. I don't know yeah. anything about it. It was it was a little bit difficult, and I think that we all spoke our piece and and tried to come to an understanding about um, what was going on, but. Um, the truth of the matter is, is it comes back to representation. You know, um, I, w- I would love to show the kids this film. At the same time, I don't want them to think that that's what they need or that that's who, that's that's going to be their story. You know, um, a big reason why I continue to show up is because I'm black. I'm queer. You know, I, I'm 30. I look like them. I look like I'm 20. I look like I'm like I would 16 say 15 sometime. and a half. <laughs> Like, cannot drive. Yeah. Like, definitely, no, definitely can't drive. Yeah. It happens a lot. I get yeah. I get mistaken. Like, I've had cops be like, are you, like, are you like, truancy? Maybe status? you can get into a Fast and Furious movie, but, like, maybe not. <laughs> like, just, like, yeah. very up for grabs. And that's, it's it's true, and it's real. But I, I, I love yeah. to use that to be able to connect with the youth on a different level, you know. Um, and so the more that they see, you know, Project Q doing more for the community, the more that more that they get to interact with the community, and they know that they deserve to grow too. Right. And just knowing a little bit about your personal life, and and you know, I also know that you are a married person. I am a married person. And I bet, I mean, I, I don't know a ton about your kids, but I did perform at a fundraiser that you had. You did. And it was so cool to meet some of your kids. I don't know if that was all of your kids, but some of the kids that you work with yeah. and um, who are like straight up adults. Like they looked, <laughs> they looked so grown up and they looked great and clearly had a lot of affection and respect and family feelings towards you, which was really awesome. Um, but then it was also, you know, I was imagining being them mm-hmm. and seeing like not just that you have a job and a career, but also that you have a partner. Mm-hmm. And how important that is. I mean, it's the reason I talk about my relationship so openly is because I just feel like if I'm not willing to do this, then we will never hear about this. Yeah. Like there, there, I didn't really, you know, Ellen or whoever you could look to as being like, you know, whoever was first talking Mm -hmm. openly or just showing their relationship publicly, like. I don't feel like we really ever knew anything about what that person's home life was like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I didn't know anybody who was older than me that was in a relationship. Hmm. So, like, how does that feel for you? Do you feel like that's a – you guys are kind of parents to these kids. Oh, totally. Oh, totally. We are their parents. Um, we tell them that all the time. Um, and, you know, Sabine also – Sabine's my wife – she also was working with one of the prog- programs at the LGBT Center, so she knows a lot of my kids. You know, they know her really well, too. Um, <clears throat> and it's, it, it, it is interesting to kind of be this couple that they see. And they've asked, like, you know, well, how long have you been married? And they think, and I'm going to say, like, you know, that, well, you're 30, probably 10 years, because that's <laughs> how their brain works. Um, and I'm like, two years, you know, and they go, Oh, that's it. I'm like, yo, like it wasn't legal, you know. Like, right? They it, it never clicks, and they're like, oh, that's right. It wasn't even legal yet, you know. And to see the amount that, like the 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 gap between you and I, even though it's doubled between me and them, it's really quadrupled, 
you know, because of how much has happened since I was that age, since you were that age, you know, and I think that it is a really beautiful thing for them to see a couple, a black couple that has, you know, that is working in the community. Um, Honestly, everybody that works at the LGBT, I'm sorry, LGBT Center, y'all, you guys are all white, like everybody, (laughs) except for me and the security guards. Fair. (laughs) And it's, and it is, um, like, I don't know enough about the demographics of all the kids that you work with, but what would you say about, so it's white people on the service providing side, who are they providing services for? All like, black and brown kids. There's very, very, very rarely do I see non-people of color, Yeah, you know, that are receiving services. And when you when you think about it, you know, unfortunately, we do live in a time where white parents are just like, oh, oh, you're a boy now? Oh, okay, cool. You know, like, and black and brown parents, you know, we there's just so much more culturally um, that has gone on that has changed the way that their kids are allowed to be. Especially, This is why black trans women are, you know, at the highest risk because you're born my son then that machismo kicks and you're not allowed to be a girl like you're you know you're, you're feminizing black men and then you know it just it, it just grows into a further hatred and then the violence comes around too because it's a story that is told within the community you have to be strong you have to be big and you can be feminine like you don't have to right. be well big and, and then, strong yeah and then the the feeling that that like a cis dude who was into mm-hmm. a trans woman would have about himself. Exactly. In terms of like, not just like you need to be masculine, but like I need to be masculine right. and what that means and the sort of keyhole that exactly that we put dudes through. And it's, it's really harmful. And I want to go back and say, actually really quick, like femininity is being big and strong. P.S. Yeah. (laughs) You know, vulnerability is being big and strong and putting yourself out there is strength. And shutting down is weakness. Like when when we shut ourselves down and we shut our people out and when we don't build community, that is weakness. And I think that there's a disconnect there. Of course. Yeah. I mean, you know, my, my background and my disconnect is in the church i was raised super catholic Mm. and so like that is where my culture butted up against my reality Mm. um and the positive thing about being catholic is that it is more of an ethnicity than a practice for so Mm. many people in Mm -hmm. this country so like it was awful coming out because i only had gone to grade school high school and catholic and Catholic grade school, high school, and college. Mm-hmm. Didn't, like, know anybody that wasn't Catholic. Like, thought for sure I was going to, like, burn in hell forever. Or, like, my parents cried for five years. But then after that, I lived in the world. Mm-hmm. And I saw that, like, this ethnicity wasn't something that, like, many Catholics leave the church. And a lot of adult Catholics are lapsed. And they mm-hmm. don't really, like, it's not a center of the community. Mm-hmm. And I know that... In a lot of black neighborhoods, the church is less an ethnicity and more of a practice and more of a community Absolutely. hub. Yeah. And that's a very big difference mm-hmm. in terms of like what you can and can't leave behind. Because mm-hmm. you can not that like I will always be ethnically Catholic. It's mm-hmm. how I live every day of my life. And it's like 
burned in my brain in terms of morality and all these things. But it's not something where like everybody that lives in my neighborhood has a relationship to a Catholic church. Like mm-hmm. that is untrue. And I think generally pretty untrue about how Catholics practice. Um, but especially for black communities with not a lot of economic options, like yeah, I mean, you work with the support systems and, that you have. Yeah. yeah, there's, you know, clothing drives and it's where, sorry. No, no, no. Open um, that water. <laughs> you know, they have clothing drives. They feed you like it's it's. So how do you separate from that? You can't. And I mean, I and I grew up in the church, but we grew up in a white church, which is really funny. Like one of those mega churches. Oh, yeah. Girl. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Like televised. Uh huh. Wow. How many yeah. people in your congregation do you know? Like 20,000. Like, I think like 15 to 20,000. Wow, yeah. There was a lot, a lot of people. Um but because of that, like there, there was even racism experience there. So it's like, oh, and then coming out, it's like, oh, and you're, you know, like <laughs> all the things. Uh, so what was the, what was the racism angle of it? Like who, how, how many? So it's mostly white church. Mm-hmm. You and twenty thousand white people. Right. <laughs> so where does the racism even come in? No, right. I mean, like, how did you see it show up? Um, in like, you know, like vacation Bible school and stuff. You know. You'd, you'd hear it and, oh, I don't want to sit behind the blah, blah, blah. Or like, you know, like it was all, all it's the this, it's this pastor, you know, like that kind of stuff. It would happen all the time. And um, and when I say this and blah, 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 I mean the N-word. Um, oh, really? In church. I straight yeah. up didn't pick up at all that you meant yeah. this and blah, blah, blah was the N-word. Yeah. Well, I don't like to say it. No, it's not, it's, who it's wants not, to say that? It's not fun, you know, and it's it's been... Um, at church. At church. And so when you when you, when you the whole world is already unsafe and then you're like, this is my... Church is my safe space, though, because trust me, oh, I was real I was real Christian for a minute there. Oh, we've got so much in common. <laughs> Sometimes we have to have a talk. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was... You know, you got to pray the gay away, you know, like all the shame. Did you try to do that? Oh, yeah. I was I was in church like three or four times a week. I mean, I was really, really, really trying. So you had the awareness of what was going on with you mm-hmm. and then actively tried to stop it. Mm-hmm. For me, it was a little different because I didn't have the awareness of what was going on for me for like till I was 20. And I was very Catholic. Um like as a practice before that. So I was mm. a theology major in college and I went to daily mass and I was a Eucharistic minister. Those are the people who hand you the little wafer and all that shit. I was into it, dude. I lived <laughs> in Rome for a little while. I was fucking wow. into it. And then actually it was, I because I was a theology major, I was reading all the stuff that the church said, not about gay people because I had no connection to being queer or within the LGBT community. Um, But I was reading what they said about women. Mm. And, like, when you actually read Mm -hmm. what the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith, what, like, the Pope's friends think about women, it is, it's a little bit wild. Yeah, it's scary. It is really scary. So that was the first moment that I felt like I had been duped. <laughs> and I was like, why have I been very committed to this organization right. that thinks I am a vessel right. only? 
Vessel only. Yeah, I mean, I actually wanted to, I wanted to preach at some point. This is what's funny. So did I. You did? Yes. High five on that. And straight up, I think that is what I do. Yes. And I think that's actually what you do. Dude, it is. So you are a pastor. Yes. And I am a priest. Can we call that? Is that the name of this this episode? Pastor the pastor and priest. And priest. Yes. <laughs> I really wanted to be a priest. I also did not want to be a nun. Like, I knew mm-hmm. nuns. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was not what I wanted to do because they... They did a lot of caring for the community, which I really loved, but they didn't get to like didn't have a voice. speak to people. Yeah. And I love speaking to people. Mm-hmm. So it turns out uh, stand-up comedy is exactly being a priest. You yeah. stand on a little stage, yep. everybody has to listen to you, mm-hmm. and there's alcohol. <laughs> same fucking thing. Exactly the same. Exactly the same. <laughs> and you have a congregation that you're connected yeah. to. Yeah, I feel, I definitely feel like it's... It's a practice. It is a congregation. It is like this. creating a safe space is having um, community in the same way. You know, um, we did our first uh, section of our tour a couple weeks ago and went up to San Francisco for Trans Pride. And we did haircuts right outside of Dolores Park. And all these little queer kids came by to get their haircut. And it was interesting because I've I, I was I was a little nervous, to be honest. I was like, are they going to understand what's happening right now? Or are they going to walk in and expect free shit you know because it's very different to give service and and or i should say to receive service and then to to receive on the level that i give it's it's just a different thing um and one thing that really helps is we have a thing called currency it's just like money except obviously it's a free haircut and so i before before anyone gets a haircut in my chair on the trailer they have to write on the board something that is a spinoff of a quote or a thought that i put up and so th- these things are often like queer and worthy. Why are you worthy? Tell me about your worthiness before you get this haircut. Um, and this specific day, it was Black Trans Lives Matter. Why does your life matter? Tell me why your life matters, and then I'll cut your hair. And it was really funny because they would sit there and go, oh, uh, mm. okay, I'll go next. I'll go after this person. You know, like they're like, give me a second, give me a second. And, and they really thought about it. But that also meant that they understood that that was their safe space. You know, they walked away, they went, they went and enjoyed the festival and they came back and they sat around and did nothing because they knew that they could in that space. And so, yeah, it does feel like a congregation. It does feel like, you know, I get to speak, but also make them think. But it, like, that's my little sermon right there, right? It's like a little tiny sermon. How many haircuts do you think you gave? During trans pride? Yeah. (sighs) Not a lot. No, I don't mean it like that's not the... That's five, really. But that's actually not why I'm asking. I'm not like trying to come up with some large number. I'm more thinking like, you know, obviously I'm not traveling with you. I don't know what this experience is like. So Mm -hmm. you show up. Mm -hmm. How do you let people know where you are? So my wife works with me. She does a lot of planning. She does like background stuff. Yes. Um, And she... Organized organized person. Virgo. Organized. Yeah. Yes. She um, gets in contact with youth centers that work with the exact same community that we work with here, um, just in those spaces. And so... Um, the youth organization in San Francisco was like, hey, go get a haircut. Here's a meal, eat something, then go get a haircut. And so they would come and they would write their name on on the dry erase board and they would leave their currency. Yeah. Are you, I don't know what the capabilities are in your trailer. Um, So like, 
what kind of haircuts did you give people? I gave someone a really similar haircut to yours. Uh-huh. Of course. Classic. Yeah. The classic. Except it was more like they wanted it to be like hardline bowl haircut with like pixie peaks and like a little like mullet in the back. And I was like, yes, I can <laughs> do that for you. Amazing. Um, and then some of them were just getting, you know, cleaned up. One of the girls was going to go in March for Trans March. And so she wanted like an in your face. She was like, OK, so I want bangs, but I want you to pull all this up. And then I want like some pieces to be sticking straight up off of my head and some pieces to be curled down. And I was like, you got this. That's like, amazing. No problem. Yeah. So the other thing that, of course, you know, strikes me is that especially like, at places like the LA LGBT. The, at the LA LGBT Center. It's hard to say LA before LGBT, LGBT. Center. It's, a la, la, it's la, la, legit la. like a lot of laws. <laughs> um, at places like that where you're talking about the overwhelming whiteness of the, ser- of the service mm-hmm. providers, which is like, hey, I went to social work school for a little yeah. while before dropping out and continuing my stand-up comedy career. So I'll <laughs> say like, uh, there's just like a lot of white people in and service general. provider positions uh, in general. But Especially something like haircuts, mm-hmm. when you are dealing with kids who are black and brown. Mm-hmm. Like, thank you for existing, because there maybe is the white, the perfect white person <laughs> that like can can do that job of dealing with that hair, but right. like probably not. <laughs> Like, that's definitely yeah. a part of – because I, I bring all this up because, you know, before I performed at your um, – actually, I think it was even earlier than that, the first time I posted about Project Q. Mm-hmm. I just posted about it and, you know, that I thought it was a great organization and that people should donate. And mm-hmm. I did get, like – I mean, it's just, like, one dumb idiot. Mm-hmm. But, you know – And this person isn't even a dumb idiot. They're just very – like, not thinking about it the right way. Because mm-hmm. there was somebody who said, like – so this is, so these are kids who don't have a home and you're providing haircuts? Mm-hmm. Like, how could that be the thing that you focus on? And, you know, I sort of, I mean, I'm not, I wasn't speaking as you, but I sort <laughs> of was like, I mean, here's why. It yeah. matters to me that my haircut shows the world who I am, yeah. like you said earlier. Yeah. But then also safety issue for mm-hmm. a specifically at-risk community. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, like, you're going to be homeless. White people are, are going to come and try and help you. You don't have white people hair. Shit ain't going to go that great. It's also, it, and it never does. And it's just like, I, and I've, I've seen, I've you know, I've definitely tried to expand. I have Coral works with me now at the yeah. center. She's She's been coming now for about seven years. Seven years, seven months, sorry. And, um, you know, Coral was fresh out of barbering school when she started coming. And I'm like, great, I'm going to teach you (laughs) how to do this because there aren't a lot of non-black people that know how to do black people hair. And Coral happens to be a Latin person, and there are plenty of youth that come to the center that don't speak English. Guess what? Coral can connect with them the way that I can't. So I can do black hair the way that she can't, and she can, can connect with some of them the way that I can't. And it's not, once again, it's it's not about, I, I just want to, like, make it very clear. I know that hair, doing your hair does not feed you. Like, I understand that. I know it doesn't put money in your pocket, but what it does do is it 
lets you walk around this world with a little bit of an extra pep in your step. And it just like I've seen people go from like, I don't want to look in the mirror. I'm uncomfortable standing. Don't make eye contact with me to, oh, my God, selfies every day, you know, and like I can't stop looking at myself. One of them keeps saying, I just can't stop looking. It's your fault, you know, and it's a beautiful thing. It's huge. I will also say that, um, you know, for you saying like, I'm I'm not, you know, here to feed you, but. You you can't feed you right. if you don't feel that you can take up space in the world. Right. And so I think for people in the queer community, like this is why having you having your haircut matters. And this is why me having my haircut mm-hmm. matters, because showing the world who we are and then taking up space like you're not going to get you cannot hold a job right. if you cannot look people in the eye. Yeah, you cannot hold a job if you like are not put together in a way that people trust like I mean this is these are the facts of why it matters to provide services like this and and like services that you do at Project Q but also like the haircuts that you do at Folklore Salon like like all of that Mm -hmm. stuff Um, you know across the board it's when I moved here, I I like had a meeting with somebody and I went like, oh, I'm sorry, like this is just the hair that I moved here with. Like I will change it. I promise. Like I won't do. It. And she was like, No, 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 no. Like mm-hmm. do not change that hair. That is like that's you. Like we are selling that hair. Yes. And then I was like, Oh wow, I didn't realize that that. Okay. Well, this is not the Hollywood they told me about. <laughs> But um, well, you get to create yourself here, you know, and, and yes, that's, you do. It's a really beautiful thing, you know, with like we just passed Father's Day and right before that was Mother's Day. And I think that my favorite thing that I've seen from um, from the youth and from, you know, people, it's like they say happy Mother's Day and happy Father's Day to all the queers that had to raise themselves because that's really what it came down to is us just raising ourselves, just creating who we are. You know, um, we throw a Mother's Day event called We Don't Have Mother's Day. Um, We do it at um, the Human Resource Center, um, Human Resources LA over in Chinatown. And it was, this is our second year doing it. And it's just so beautiful. We like, we put art, it's like based around art. It was literally the week before you came in (laughs) and and, like performed at the ball, which was like, it was really intense. But, um, you know, we, we started off with, poetry and we had like a, a beautiful person come and teach us poetry and then we had like we turned the poetry into choreography and then we took the movement and we took the words and we put them on paper and made comic books and then you know burrito project actually not burrito project um burrito coalition came in like fed the youth and it was all white service providers still these are all my those good old white friends that are like i want to help you and i'm like okay for sure and so every time before we received service from one of the service providers, we we spoke our mantra, and our mantra goes as such: um, the, the the mandate for Black and Brown people at this time is to avenge the suffering of our ancestors, to earn the respect of future generations, and to be transformed in the service of the work. I say it, they say it, we say it again, we say it louder. And then we receive service. And I'll say, here's this white person that wants to give us service today. Wait, wait is that from your brain? <laughs> no, no. What is that I from? I totally stole that. 
No, what I is totally it from? That. It's honestly, it's something that's been circulating within the black and brown community. And it's just... God, I'm so fucking white. I've never <laughs> heard that. It's okay. It's okay that you haven't. It doesn't need to be your mantra. No, it's just it does one. not need to be my mantra. <laughs> you know, just, um, yeah. I will say, like, it's very interesting to hear all these things. I mean, going and performing at that ball for the organization, it's I, I feel a connection to you, to the work that you do, because it matters to me so much. Mm-hmm. But I also will say that I felt very much like a guest and mm-hmm. very much like a visitor and not in a bad way. I I think that, you know, it's a very... I'm trying, I'm trying to understand the ways mm-hmm. that are, the ways that, the things that are actually helpful mm-hmm. and the things that are... Um, like doing for or uh, doing with like a savior intention because I think that I think it's um, I mean this is this is not a new thought but I think if if you are a white person right now and you're not spending like every moment of your day thinking about how much we fucked up this country (laughs) like since forever right it's been a while since forever we've done it but like the doubling down Mm -hmm. in this election or like triplet quadruplet whatever it is there's not a big enough number that was a bad number yeah um i just feel like it's not a and it's not like guilt. It's not it's not uh, white guilt. It's actually just like being blown away. Like an awareness. You know, I feel like that's that's really what it comes down to is just like, like, OK, that's and at all times. And then like letting it depict what you do with yourself in areas where there might be people of color. Like you said, you felt like a guest or like you were vis- like a visitor. And that's how I wanted it to feel. And not just for you, but for for the audience, yeah, you know that was f- for like in my opinion that was for me and for the kids. That was for them to get dressed up and to feel special, and it was also for people that didn't know to what degree feeling good about yourself can take you to see it in real life. I mean, that was very cool. I think that was. I think you were really successful at that because there are so many organizations that provide um, services for like whatever it is disenfranchised community mm-hmm. that the events that raise money for that organization feel very much about the people that are going to give money mm-hmm. and not about celebrating the strength of the disenfranchised community right and i and so yours didn't feel like that i, I don't know if i've ever been to something that didn't feel like that that much which is mm-hmm. really great so good job Yay. yeah that was huge i mean i will also say like as somebody who is cisgendered, I also was like, I felt like very much a guest in that way too. Mm. And again, like that, I have no problem with that. I do think that it's it was very interesting to perform stand-up under those conditions because I was like yeah. <laughs> so aware of wanting to celebrate. Mm-hmm. And, and so like when you're in that zone, that can just be a hard time to do comedy like 
like no matter what you're celebrating like yeah like i've done like i've done like a i've done i once did to do stand up at a bridal shower oh. like worst fucking thing that's oh. ever happened to me because you're like straight bridal shower yes a fucking oh. straight bridal shower i know why did oh, i do I, that I, you know because i was a couple years in and i needed that 200 bucks look okay yeah. that's why we've all been <laughs> But yeah, it's hard when you're a part of somebody else's celebration because mm-hmm. like it should be about them. So yeah. Um, well, I don't know if I ever said, but thank you so very much for coming, and you did such an amazing job. Oh, it was like not that I was expecting for you to do a horrible job. I was just like, this is actually really effing cool. You know, like oh. there was that moment where I could tell that the youth were really digging it and excited and like a lot of them don't have access to even know who you are but now they do you know and and that was really it was just a really beautiful thing oh thank you i mean you did thank me on the day but that's really good to know because i also think you know um i am so passionate about making sure that our youth know that they are our youth Mm -hmm. and even if there is a racial difference between me and the community like on that particular night Mm -hmm. um like again i don't it's not about being a savior it's about like being family exactly yeah so i feel that way man i'm about to burst into tears it's okay (laughs) (laughs) So tell our listeners um, where they can find out more information about the work that you do and how they could support Project Q. So the best way to find out about us is by going to projectq.me, and it's just project, the letter Q, dot M-E. Um, and there you can subscribe <clears throat> for our weekly newsletter, and kind of that helps you to follow us on the tour to see who we get to hang out with and, you know, see who we're helping. Thank you for doing that work so much. Thank Seriously. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what I kept thinking that night is like, thank you for taking care of our kids because this is our family. So thank you for doing what you're doing. And I said at the start before we were rolling that I would ask you about a queero of yours, just like somebody that made an impact in your life. And I think it's, you know, based on the conversation that we've had here, like this is a, a question that matters so much because like here you are, mm-hmm. this like 30 year old parental figure to like a bunch of teenagers and so how the fuck did you learn how to do that like what who and i mean rue rue you mentioned rue still to this day rue um but and you know he's gonna laugh but pony pony musgrave that man that person (laughs) that queer um you know i first met them when i went to I think it was like at his top surgery fundraiser where there was like art everywhere. There was like an art auction and I purchased a piece that he painted. It still hangs in my bathroom to this day, you know, and it's just, it's so beautiful to be able to work hand in hand with somebody that I respect so much. So Pony is the person who cuts my hair. Yes. Pony is the person that you work with. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's the reason we know each other. And yes. I mean, without a doubt, a hub in the community, mm-hmm. like a hub in the L.A. scene. Mm-hmm. And, um, man, we had the coolest. Number one, I am going to totally get them in here to do this podcast at yeah. some point. But I feel like I'm like working up to asking only because <laughs> we had Pony in 
uh, season two of Take My Wife. Right. And it was like, I know that that's outside of their comfort zone. Like, that's not like a person <laughs> that wants to show up and be on camera. But I felt like I had to ask because we wanted to depict the reality of what it is to be queer in LA. And I'm like, yeah. this is like the person that for me is what it's like. I think that queer. he's that person to a lot of people. Yeah. And, you know, he still has the first Project Q sticker sitting in his till. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's just such a really beautiful thing. And he he's always reminding me, like, I support you. Like, I'm here for you. And it's, I don't know what else to say. Like, that's all you need, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Especially being a person who grew up very similarly to the youth that I work with, who there was never anyone that said, I'm here for you. You know, and having him here for years saying that over and over again, saying, I believe in you, saying, just go get it. I mean, if, I, if I'm, like, scared, I'm like, I call him. And I'm like, Pony, I'm, I'm scared about this thing. I don't really know what to do. And he's, you know, he'll usually not even say too much because he's a man of few words. Oh, my God, so much. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, and, and, and I think that in moments he will just not say much because he knows that I already know what I need to hear. I just need somebody to talk to. And so, I know you're listening, Pony. Sorry I made you cry just now. <laughs> Pony, straight up, my hair is very thick right now, and I need you to thin it out on the left side. It's, like, so long and kind of bulky, so I'll be in touch. Notice I said nothing. <laughs> Man, thank you so much for being here. Thank this you. This was an awesome conversation. I yeah. agree. Cheers. Thanks for having me. listeners that's our show please remember to rate and review us on itunes you can follow me on twitter at cameron esposito we are recorded by matt brousseau produced by sierra Catow and feral audio our theme song is by aw and you can find them at listen to aw.com thanks for listening to query Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season three has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, season three is a great jumping on point. And we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Eight nights. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen <coughs> me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins yeah. has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Ah, uh, yes. I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. Ah! Oh, Jesus! I mean, Jazos! <laughs> ruler of the Eighth Circle! And that's just the beginning. Season three of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.